Are you ready, ladies? Stand tall. Straighten those crowns and show them what you're made of. You're listening to the Farm Queen Podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Karen Hoffman, and Karen is one impressive lady. I cannot wait for us to get to know her today. So, Karen, welcome. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, like your name, your farm name, how long you've been at it, um, you know, what you raise, what a day in the life looks like, that sort of thing. Okay. Hi, everybody. I'm Karen Hoffman, and I have a farm in Norwich, New York. Uh, the name of it is Peaceful by Nature Farm. And the reason for that name is that uh, I have had people tell me that I am very peaceful by nature. And it really kind of fit in with our the philosophy of trying to work with nature instead of against it. And so I have about 15 acres of land that I own and a bald eagle just flew over my farm. So that's perfectly fitting. Very cool. Um, very, cool. <laughs> very cool. And um, so there's about 15 acres. I do have access to some neighboring land that I can graze my animals on if there are drought conditions or if I need just a little bit of extra uh, grass, but I'm raising uh, Dorset sheep, which I raise primarily for lamb, and I market the lamb as grass-fed. And then I also have three Black Angus cows, and I have one uh, heifer calf right now that, you know, when she gets big enough, she'll be bred. And mm -hmm. basically, I do managed grazing with uh, both species of animals. I try to do some um, kind of advanced management with them where I graze the cattle in between the sheep on different paddocks in my system as a way to um, reduce parasite issues. And um, I've been doing the sheep since 2011 and then uh, started doing cattle. Uh, within a few years of that, I used to go to the local auction and just buy weaned calves and then raise them. And then a couple of years ago, decided to get into the cow-calf business because I, I had a couple of bad experiences with buying at the auction. So right. it seemed like having my own cows made a whole lot more sense. If nothing else, it helps your stress levels. <laughs> That's true. Yes. Yes. So tell us, tell us about a day in the life, if you would. What does it look like as far as balancing chores? Um, obviously, you have, you know, your things off farm that you're doing. So can you tell us a little more about that? Sure. Um, I work full time off the farm uh, for the USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service. So in the wintertime, my typical day is I get up and I go to work. And then when I come home in the evening, I, you know, go up to the barn and I feed hay to the sheep, um, and I have a, a ram as well. Um, you know, they've got access to an outdoor 
uh, frost-free watering unit, so I don't have to worry about water this time of year. Um, oh, and I also have two goats that are mixed in with the sheep, which that's a whole nother storyline. But um, and then the the cattle spend the entire winter outside, and they get fed round bales. They get uh, a bale of baleage probably every four or five days um, at this point. And they have the opportunity to get out of the wind and the weather by going into kind of a wooded area um, up against the fence line. There's some uh, pine trees that help to block the wind. Um, and so that, you know, they can get shelter there. In the summer, it's a little bit more intense because I am using managed grazing. So I might get up in the morning and check on all the animals um, that are out on pasture just to make sure they're all still there. And <clears throat> then um, probably every two or three days, they get moved to a new paddock. So that involves, you know, setting up Electronet for the sheep and, and moving them and then taking down the Electronet where they were. Um, it involves you know, sometimes having to do some either mowing or trimming with an actual handheld string trimmer um, in some places to keep the, the growth uh, vegetative and to knock back some of the, the weeds that grow up like thistle. Um, with the cattle, they get moved, like I said, in between the sheep to, to manage the parasites. Um, but they have kind of their own pasture um, a little further away from the barn. And I try to, you know, rotate them through that every few days as well. So, um, yeah, and that, that's it. It's just summertime is a lot of moving of animals and wintertime is feeding hay and baleage, uh, you know, after work and on weekends. I do have a high school student who comes up and helps me a few days a week. Um, and he's, he's a big help. He loves doing the farm work and being outdoors. And of course, you know, he's 17 years old. So, um, you know, he likes working with the animals. He likes doing a little bit of tractor work for me. And uh, yeah, so that's, <laughs> that's my system. It sounds like a very, very straightforward system. Like you're describing it and it's like, yeah, it's just totally no brainer. I'm just going to roll out the hay and then I'm going to move them in the summer. And I do find it um, interesting. I've heard of, I've heard of, you know, cows and sheep being, you know, part of the system. I've, I've heard of typically the three, the three animal system of cows, sheep, and chickens kind of making the, you know, the trifecta of <laughs> grazing management. Um, you know, the chickens being the finishers that they scrape all the, the cow patties apart. Um, mm -hmm. But that's interesting that you're saying you do sheep, cow, and sheep. So just as a curiosity, um, would you just briefly explain how you came to that? Okay, um, I did have chickens for a while, but they were not part of my management system. They, I just had layers and they kind of roamed around the farmstead. Um, and part of the, the issue I have here is that um, a lot of my soils are very wet. Um, heavy clay soils. I also have a lot of rock outcrops and boulders just sticking up randomly. 
Um, and so a lot of it, I cannot get on with a tractor. And, you know, if I was to do the chickens following behind anything, I, you know, I wouldn't be able to use about half of my land for that. So uh-huh. it, it just didn't really fit because, you know, I'd be, I'd be driving over rocks and makes sense. <laughs> you right. Know. right. Makes sense. Yep. Um, and so really, um, the, the thing with the parasites is that sheep are very susceptible to a couple of different parasites and the cattle are not affected by them. And so by timing it correctly, what can happen is if the cattle come in about 10 to 15 days after the sheep, when the grass has regrown from the sheep grazing it, the cattle will actually uh, consume the larvae from the parasites, which interrupts the life cycle of the parasites. And the, the cattle are not affected by it. And so um, it reduces the number of parasite larvae on the pastures that the sheep are grazing. Um, after the cattle oh, graze it, the, the grass rests for another you know, 15 to 30 days, depending upon the time of the year. And then um, you know, there's less parasite larvae on those pastures. And makes sense. yep, ideally, the sheep wouldn't graze the same area for more like 45 days, but because I'm limited on land, I really have to graze the sheep more frequently on the same land. And so the cattle are kind of my gotcha. tool to try to you know minimize the, the parasite issue. That makes sense. That's very cool. Like I said, I've heard, I've heard typically the, you know, the three, but going back and forth with that kind of, you know, I'm used to people saying like you move them every day and then you just leave it empty for a long time. So they're either <laughs> using more land or smaller spaces at a time to, you know, you put in the cows, you put in the sheep, you put in et cetera, and you move them around. So, yeah. Um, very cool. So you obviously have a um, high level of interest and passion for this rotational grazing and, and I'm assuming regenerative agriculture and all of that. And with it, I know you've been a part of a couple of publications, um, but why do you farm in the first place? Well, um, my background is actually in animal science. Uh, that's what I went to, to college and graduate school for. Um, I'm, I, I'm a grazing specialist with NRCS. And so I get to practice what I preach on the farm, which I really like. Um, Before I started the farm, it was really like I had no experience to talk from. Um, And so, you know, professionally, I can say, well, on my farm, here's what I do. And I think that, um, you know, helps with some credibility. But I just really love having animals and I love working with them. I also have two dogs and a cat uh, because you know, I have to have a little bit of everything here. Right. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The other thing is, uh, so the, so the second reason why I farm is I really like providing my community with local food. Um, I think, you know, that's a really important aspect of, um, 
you know, maintaining agriculture in small rural places like, like Norwich is having that connection mm-hmm. with consumers. There's a lot of people who really want to know where their food comes from. You know, they don't want to buy everything at the grocery store. And so this gives them the option to buy local beef or local lamb um, and know that it's, you know, coming from a farm that they can, you know, come and see if they want to, you know, they get to know their farmer, um, which is why a lot of people are doing sort of the small grass-based farming or, you know, smaller vegetable production is to have that connection with the consumer. And then I would say the third reason why I'm farming is that um, this farm used to be a dairy years and years and years ago, and it went out of production and it hadn't been farmed for a long time. And, you know, it, it was a reclamation effort. It was grown up to a lot of goldenrod and thorn apple and multiflora rose and buckthorn. Um, and so over the years, it has been reclaimed as a farm since, since I started here. Um, I did have a partner who started with me who has since left the farm. Um, but, you know, we cleared the land with the goats and a little bit with the sheep and, you know, did a lot of cutting of invasive species. And so the land is open again now. It's back in farming. And um, that whole peaceful by nature and uh, working with nature, the things that have happened here is, you know, we've seen different species of birds return. Um, I have a wonderful, wonderful uh, population of barn swallows that come in every mm-hmm. spring. And, you know, they eat the flies that bother the animals. Um, you know, they nest in the barn and they come back every year. Um, you know, they say barn swallows come back to the same place where they were born, right? Or where they hatched out. And so over the years, I've just got more and more barn swallow nests. They do make a mess in the barn, but I feel yep. like the benefits, <laughs> the benefits of having them here for insect control are, are really wonderful. And I love seeing them swooping um, out over the pastures. Um, you know, we've seen uh, I've seen bobolinks in my pasture. I've seen killdeer. Uh, you know, I have a, a great blue heron that comes and sits on my pond. So it's just really nice to see all the wildlife, you know, making use of the pastures now that they've been reclaimed into more of a grassland ecosystem and less of just a abandoned land kind of ecosystem. I hear you. I'm glad I don't live near you because when you were describing the overgrown pasture land, I'm thinking that sounds exactly like my farm. <laughs> You're not talking about my place, are you? Yeah, we're working on uh, doing the same kind of thing. Of, and I I have to ask now. You've mentioned the goats twice. That was was that the reason for the goats to help in the in the reclaiming effort? Yes. Yep. We started with eight um, back. I want to say in 2000. 15 or 16 maybe and put them in the brushiest areas and really let them knock back um you know the multiflora yep the the dog there was dogwood out there that was uh, terribly invasive um the honeysuckle it, it was fascinating to watch them climb up into these shrubs and push down the branches so that you know their herd mates could 
uh, access the taller parts of those shrubs. Um, and that was really neat. And then um, last, I wanna say last year around this time, um, I sold some of them to a friend of mine down in Delaware County. And uh, there was one that um, had a health issue. So I sold him and then I've kept kind of like my two favorite goats. And so mm -hmm. they're just, they're just in with the sheep now. And they, you know, they'll eat like sedge and some of the thistle that comes up and some of the other weedy species. And so, you know, they're still helping me with that. You just, right. You just don't need as many as exactly. you had before. Yep. Yeah. I was just counting it up while you, uh, while you were talking that we had the same thought of when we, I mean, we, we must've lived here less than six months. And my husband goes, what can we do to make it so that we can get goats this summer? I think we really need them for brush control. I'm like, um, you know, maybe we should have some stalls built in the barn and some, <laughs> some pasture fencing done. And, you know, we dove in a little ambitiously, but we free range them and, and they've been working on, um, you know, taking over the land. And I think we agreed to start with like three or four goats. And I just was counting it up that including the pregnant goat who's due any time now, I have 17 goats now. Oh. And um, it's a little bit of a staggering number. Thank you for putting that in perspective for me. <laughs> I, might, <laughs> I might have enough for now, but, you know, once the land gets cleared, I'm, I'm going to have a real trouble of what do I do with them all? Um, yeah. But anyway, enough with goats. Um, how did it feel when you got handed that crown this week? Um, it it was it was fun. Um, I was given the crown by Victoria Pizzino, who had right. it last week, um, and our friend Sarah Jensen was originally going to receive it because, um, but she, you know, she had a death in the family. Right, and right. we all, we all know each other through the farmer's market. And so wow. I feel like it's been like a great way for the women who are all farming and that sell at the same farmer's market. We're kind of bonding over um, like, here we are, we're, you know, we are women and we're farming and um, we're supporting each other and we're sharing ideas and uh, all three of us raise livestock. So that's another mm -hmm. aspect of it that has been um, really neat is, you know, getting to know other, other meat people, other small right. livestock people. So, um, so and I would say kind of how, it, how it felt was sort of like, yeah, this is fun. This is cool. This is uh, great recognition for all of us. So yeah. as far as being um, a woman in agriculture, what is it that you, and you have a, a certainly a, I'd call it sort of the inside track too, of not just that you are a woman in agriculture, but I'm sure you encounter them between the market and your day job and everything. What is one of the most common misconceptions that you come across in regards to women in agriculture? Um, well, I would, I would say there are two. And I see this professionally okay. as well in my job is that there's an assumption that there's always the husband is the primary person involved in the operation and that the, you know, the wife works off the farm or, um, you know, doesn't have any involvement in some way, shape or form. And a lot of times it's actually the, you know, the woman that's in charge. And I think right. a lot of people don't recognize that automatically 
Um, and then I would say the other misperception is that women can't farm by themselves. I know, um, you know, even though I have a high school student who helps me, a lot of people are like, wow, you do all that by yourself? You know, like I'm not capable of doing the physical work um, or that I'm not capable of, um, you know, keeping it going. Right, right. They make that assumption that you have the helper because you can't do it without him. Whereas it's more of, no, I have the helper because it gives me time to do other things. But, you know, if he calls in sick, you could certainly still do the job. Yes. Yeah. And that actually happens a lot. I mean, you know, he's a high school student. He has a social life. Uh, Right. You know, he has family commitments. So even though, you know, there are certain days he usually works, a lot of times he'll say, oh, I can't work today. I've got, you know, something going on for school. And I'm like, that's okay. I'll just do it myself. Um, And I also like giving him the experience of, you know, being on a farm. He's not a farm kid. And he just really enjoys working on a farm. So great. Give him that opportunity. And maybe someday, you know, he'll end up having a farm of his own or, you know, working for somebody and he'll come with some great experiences. I mean, at the very least, maybe he'll marry a farm woman, farm girl, whatever you want to call her at that age. Right. And, yeah. and he'll support her as the leader of the farm. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and honestly, I think that, I think that sends a good, just as a total side note, I think that sends just a great, um, I don't want to say sends a message, but it kind of puts it in the mind of, you know, a high school kid that like my boss is a woman on a farm Mm -hmm. and it is a very, you know, non-stereotypical kind of situation. So I think that that does great for the next generation in terms of, you know, his friends have to know what he does for his job. And so they're going to know that, you know, they're going to know, they're going to figure out that women can do this. And that's, you know, it's a great step for women. It's a great step for farming and all of that. Kind of along with that, um, as far as the customers that you interface with, what is one thing that you really wish they knew about the life of a farm woman that they don't currently know? Um how much work it actually is. I think a lot of customers think that, you know, if you have a farm, it's like this beautiful, idyllic uh, lifestyle where, you know, you just, you know, every day is like uh, just wonderful and easy. And, um, you know, I don't think they really understand that it's, it's real work. You know, there's physical labor. There is, um, you know, things go wrong. Animals get sick. Animals die. Um, You know, machinery breaks down. Uh, There's an ice storm and you've got to figure out what to do with the animals so that, you know, they're well fed and protected. Or um, just a recent example for myself, I was opening a gate and I tripped and I fell and I like bruised up my, I, I tripped and fell in a tractor tire rut, which I should have known was there, but you know, it was minus 35 degrees with the windshield. So I wasn't really watching where I was going. I was just hurrying, um, you know, and I, bruised, I bruised up my leg terribly. Um, and I was like, ah, but you know, that's part of it is you're going to get hurt and you're not going to have great days. So, 
Um, you know, I think a lot of people are like, oh, you know, it must be so wonderful. And I'm like, yeah, it's nice. You can think that, but come and spend a week or two with me and you might have a different opinion. <laughs> right. And I think especially in, in a grass fed pastured kind of situation, I think, I think a lot of people that are not in the farming realm, they hear the word pasture, they think of, you know, meadows from a movie scene that it's, you know, waist high grass and wildflowers everywhere. And, you know, Karen's over here with her sundress and straw hat on or something, just <laughs> taking a stroll, you know, with your fingertips brushing the top of the flowers, like it's a movie or something. It's like, no, not, not quite. You know, we're usually not doing that. <laughs> um, and I, I got to ask the follow-up question. Do you feel like that is, as far as this idea of, you know, it's more work than they think, than they think it is. Do you think that because you have a day job, it sends the impression that the farm work is not as much as it is? Do you think that that kind of pushes that that concept in the in the wrong direction? Excuse me, in the well, wrong direction for the for the customers. Yeah, like, oh, I, if you can work a day job, it must not be that much work. I wonder if you feel like that makes a difference versus somebody whose day job is the farm. Right. Um, so I would have to say, like, my customers probably don't know that I have a full-time job. Like a lot of them don't, don't know what I do, um, professionally, you know, they just know me as, you know, Karen from peaceful by nature farm. Um, but I do think that there are some people that I interact with just in the greater community that like, like they might think that I have a hobby farm and, Mm. um, you know, my contention has always been, you know, it's not a hobby if you have to do something every day on the farm, which when you have livestock, you know, you have to feed them every day. You have to take care of them every day. Um, and so I think it, it might be more in the farm community that people think like my farm is easy to manage because I, they know me professionally. Right. Interesting. Um, you know, so I think it depends on who the, who the person is and what their frame of reference is about me and about my farm. Which brings up another really good point is that I hadn't really thought about that, that if you're interfacing, I don't do farmer's markets myself. It's just too much for me. But, you know, if you are out interfacing with customers at a farmer's market, it is usually only weekends. I think most of the smaller markets are, you know, Saturday morning, Sundays, that's it. Um, they would have no clue what any one of those people in a market does outside of the farm. And so I, I guess just as a total side thought, I'd be curious to, you know, survey the populace and see how many people think that the average farmer at a market doesn't have a day job. That'd be really Mm -hmm. interesting. Makes me wonder now of like, what do people, what do people build for the impression of us? And interesting. Yeah. So as far as this, you know, clearly easy, idyllic walk in the pasture lifestyle that you're living, (laughs) um, what is it that gets you to keep going, even on those tough days, even when you trip in the tractor rut and bruise up your leg and you've got the day job, obviously. So you're not by any means going to, you know, sit and cozy up in negative 20 degrees. You're going to still go out and get to work. What is it that keeps you going? What, what prevents you from saying, you know, I quit, I throw in the towel, I'm done with the farm. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
that's a really good question. And I, I guess it's a combination of, I just love working with the animals and I love, um, you know, the grazing part of it and, and, uh, you know, putting into practice what I do professionally. Um, but I also, I think just love the idea that I'm adding value to people's lives, um, you know, to the, to the, the farm community by, you know, keeping this place as a farm. So it's kind of a combination of, you know, my own personal, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? My own personal passions and, you know, looking also at the bigger picture of, you know, this little impact I can have on the land and the, the farming community in this county. That's a great answer. So far, oh, we've heard a lot of answers and you've, you've covered this too of, you know, supporting your community. And, you know, I think it's been worded by others as this kind of a sense of duty of, you know, I'm doing this, therefore I should sell to my community because I can, um, you know, once I have this good stuff, it would be a shame not to share it with my community. I think you've, you know, you mentioned that earlier with supporting with the, you know, selling the, the lamb and everything, but that's definitely a new take on it to hear. I'm also still doing this because I owe it to the land almost to take care of it. And I think that concept of stewardship, I think that does run through a lot of farmers, but I wonder how many are totally aware of it, that that's one of their driving, um, what do you want to call it? Driving forces behind what they do. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Now, do you run across that in your, in your day job often as a grazing specialist, do you come across people who, are they grazing because it's cheaper? Are they grazing because they want to take better care of the land? What do you think the common motivating factor there is? Um, for a lot of people, it's because it's, it is less expensive. You know, your feed costs go down, um, mm -hmm. you know, because the animals are harvesting their own food or their own right. feed. Um, but th there's a good segment of them out there that are like, you know, this is just a better way to farm for the kind of land I have or for, um, you know, reducing soil erosion or for, um, you know, improving soil health. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are really looking at the regenerative um, mm -hmm. idea. You know, it's kind of a buzzword right now. Um, right. Out there amongst, you know, a certain segment of the population that's farming. But um, yeah, I think it's it's probably 50-50 with the people that I work with in terms of, you know, it being a philosophy versus it being an economic decision. That's interesting. I just figured I'd ask because I'm sure that there's people listening who are going, well, wait a minute. Is that like, is that normal? You know, I think a lot of people approach farms that, you know, sell goods. And they kind of think, well, you know, you're doing it to make money. And it's like, well, if you would actually look at the numbers, that's not that easy to do, <laughs> depending right. on your farm size. But, you know, my, I mean, I'm, my farm's the same thing of, you know, I am certainly not a regenerated, revitalized farm yet, but everything I'm doing is, you know, certainly with the intention of this land has been let go. Same thing, like you were saying with the buckthorn and the 
we have a lot of ash trees. We have a boatload of dogwood. I don't know why it's there's so much of it. The deer love it, but I don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so it's it's that same idea of, you know, we pick and choose that, you know, goats are kind of useless to me because I don't have enough to be selling, you know, goat milk and I don't have meat goats. So, you know, because the milk was more important for our just our household and but the intention with getting, you know, well, if you wanted milk, why didn't you get a cow? Well, because I want an animal that's also going to clear land and, you know, you're mm-hmm. not going to get that with the cow. So I think that that carefully calculated kind of, um, you know, path forward business plan concept, I I just bring that up here and you talk about it. It makes me think that that's just another, you know, somewhat misconception about just farms in general, a lot of the smaller farms, I think. So interesting. Yeah. So you have been awesome to learn from, and I apologize for, we've obviously had a number of, you know, off the list questions here, but you've been so gracious to answer them. Um, anybody else who's super interested in in you and what you do and trying to learn from you and everything, where would be the best place for them to find you and follow? So I have a Facebook page. Um, it's Peaceful by Nature Farm, and that is primarily where I post information about, you know, farmer's market stuff and availability of meat. Um, We used to have a website, um, but had a hard time, you know, keeping it updated. And so have since let that go. Um, And then there's always, you know, somebody can email me. Uh, My email address is PBN, like peaceful by nature farm at gmail.com. And, you know, if they have any questions, they can certainly email me there. And I'm usually pretty good about responding or they can message me through the Facebook page. Um, I probably should do more with social media, but (laughs) I don't have time. But you're busy. Yeah. Yeah. Farms are not, um, that is my one gripe for sure about like Instagram social media specifically. I don't see it on Facebook as much, but I see it with a lot of the, you know, small farms, homesteads on Instagram that it's like, you pretty much spend your day taking pictures and posting on social media and then, you know, doing the whole comment thing. And it's like, do you actually, do you actually do a lot during the day? And perhaps that is, is one of the driving thoughts behind why farms must just be easy work. (laughs) Yeah. So before we, before we wrap up and, and call it good, uh, do you have any last words of inspiration, words of advice, whether it's for just fellow farmers in general, any future queens who are, you know, working on same kind of things you're doing that you're certainly, you know, paving the way forward for more farmers, more women farmers, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Any last, any last gems for us? I would say, you know, look to other women that are doing what you want to do or what you're trying to do and, um, you know, try to find a mentor out there and, uh, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions, um, of other people, because I think other people's experiences are really the best way to learn, you know, what you want to do, what you don't want to do. Like, you know, if you make a mistake, Um, you know, having somebody help you figure out how to do it differently the next time is always a great thing. Um, And like I said, you know, just connecting with other people at the, at the farmer's market has been 
huge for me because I don't feel like I'm all alone doing this, you know, um, Victoria, you know, she's, she's farming Sarah Jensen, um, and her husband, you know, they came and helped me with shearing last year when I had the shearer come, um, they have Katahdin, so they've never had to deal with shearing before, but they, you know, they had a great time helping me with that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like just building that community, I think is a great, great thing. I love that answer. And I like the answer that you're not saying, but you're implying, which is find other people so that when they make a mistake, you can learn from it and (laughs) have to take it on yourself. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yep. This has been awesome. Thank you so, so much for doing this. I'm excited for everybody to get to meet you. Well, thanks. Thanks. I'm glad I had the opportunity. I was a little hesitant at first, but, um, you know, then I thought, "Eh, it's okay to talk about myself once in a, and once in a while, I'm usually pretty humble. So no, 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 you have a crown. It's your chance to shine every possible beam of light off that crown while you have it. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support our podcast by clicking the link in the description, by subscribing through your favorite podcast app, and by following us on your favorite social media platform. 